И данная, эти русские революции должна будет Если немцы хотят не истребить войну, они ее получат. La lucha armada es el único camino para la liberación. Patria o muerte. Ayer estuvo el diablo aquí, huele a azufre todavía. And the cheap labor taken out of these countries. These countries are not underdeveloped, they're overexploited. You may have noticed that a lot of people drive cars. And one of the reasons for that is because driving a car for one person, while it's still pretty pricey, is actually less than the actual cost. Basically, car use is heavily subsidized in the US. For example, to build inner city roads, 89% is paid for by the general taxpayer, while only 11% is paid for by the driver. There's also free street parking and parking lots in various public areas, such as rec centers, libraries. All the places that are for public use actually end up being taken over by cars. Basically, the use of cars to just sit idly is also subsidized. There are also various land use regulations which restrict high-density housing being built. For example, some suburban areas have a minimum lot requirement. In some places, the minimum space for a home could be about an eight. And for people who own homes like this, they are taxed on. So it makes it harder for people to live in densely populated areas which are more likely to pool resources for public transit. The pre-automobile age sidewalk was very different from the post-automobile age sidewalk. In the previous video, I'm not so much referring to the word as the concept of the sidewalk. Pre-automobile age sidewalk was a multi-use area, a third place where social gatherings took place. It wasn't just for walking. More importantly, people could cross in the middle of the road whenever they wanted and wherever they wanted. Post-automobile age, they had to cross at right angles and at specific locations that were designated by crosswalk. This, along with various other city ordinances, changed the whole concept of the sidewalk. It made it only for walking. This also created this concept of the pedestrian, the person who's just there walking, rather than people before the automobile age were just people. They were doing various activities, not just walking or not just driving. A lot of the PR that was done by the auto industries around that time period of the 1920s really created these strong distinctions. This is a sidewalk. This is for people to walk. The of pedestrians was completely made up. It was a marketing ploy by of car oil tire companies known as Motordel. Before there were cars, there was no such thing as a pedestrian because people would just walk in the middle of the street. There was no reason to cross at crosswalks and designated areas. But when cars came along, they soon realized that people would just be in the way of the whole concept of jaywalking, of these beg buttons where you push at a certain stop before you have to cross at the crosswalk, of sidewalks, of pedestrians in general. These are all made up and these were things that needed to happen in order for people to push the idea that cars were the best way to move around for everybody. You're tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. You're live on TikTok for the second time. It will be every single Wednesday. I'm your host and comrade Shibby, and this is the end of the pipeline for radical content. This episode we're joined by Nessa, one of my favorite comrades, one of my favorite content creators, have been for a while, and I'm so humbled and privileged that they could come on and speak to me about some of the subjects that they've kind of built this political persona around. Your handle 
is the transit person. Could you tell us more about that, about your personal background before we get into the subject matter, please? Yeah, definitely. And I want to say thank you so much for inviting me because I love the work that you do. Um, just on all the things like Marxist thought and analysis and all the global issues. So I'm just, I'm very humbled that you invited me. So I love that. Uh, so yeah, so thank you so much. Um, and then my background, I guess, honestly, I did uh, study some STEM subjects in university. So STEM, because um, you don't know, in the United States, they call it science, technology, engineering, medicine, so different subjects. And um, I focused mainly on physiology and sports science. Those were actually and I worked in different areas in that field, like uh, sports coaching and fitness classes and recovery techniques and various other things like that. But yeah, I grew up in North America, so primarily U.S. and Canada, East Coast. I also consider myself to be a Marxist Linux, I mentioned that as well. That's the right but, answer. Yeah, I, I want to be like, <laughs> nice, nice. I wanted to be more like loosely defined because, you know, I have so much to read. I guess we all do in terms of theory. So I want it to be fairly loosely defined with that, but that's kind of what I lean towards. So. Okay, cool. So would you say that you've kind of built this political persona around yourself as like the transit person? I suppose you could say it is like a sort of activist living propaganda piece. Is that how you see yourself? Do you, how do you see that kind of work that you do? Yeah, no, definitely. You could say it like it is like a political persona activist. That's why I like to think of it. Um, it really, honestly, it started just because I grew up in North America and I grew up in cities that primarily that had pretty good public transit. So I, a substantial amount of the time I was growing up, I grew up without a car. And uh, when I came of age to get my driving license, driver's license, we call that here, um, it just uh, it did, wasn't really necessary first because I, there was such good transit. And I also didn't have any place to actually practice because I didn't have, we didn't have a car. So um, yeah, so I just didn't get it. And then I moved to a couple places. I moved to one place recently that had some um you know not so good transit which is denver colorado mm. and uh in that place i just uh i realized it was really hard to get around and i'd honestly i've never thought about public or private transport at all because i also i came from a stem background so i never studied social sciences or anything like that but um yeah i decided this was an interesting topic i was just wondering why you know why is it like this so I, um, yeah, so I just started making content about what I saw day to day, and I, I like to think of it as like a visual irony, almost there's so much visual irony when it comes to this car dependent infrastructure that I just see. So I just started making content about that. In the beginning, it started catching on, people were really interested, and they had their interesting takes about, yeah, it's really bad where I live too, and I don't know why it's so bad, and I would love to have more public transportation, but... So I thought, okay, this is an interesting topic. A lot of people are interested in it. So. so how long did it take you to get to the point where you started making that content to think, you know what, fuck this, I've got to say something about this. I've got to like get this out. And also, how do you think the social science, if you'd have learned about it, would have helped illuminate that for you? Oh, yeah, such a great question. And so uh, I kind of started getting interested in politics and like 
2020, I guess, which is like most people, I guess you could say. But um, the transit side of it, it took me like maybe a year or so when I started noticing that this this is actually better content for TikTok. <laughs> TikTok seems to like this content. So, um, so yeah, it took me about a year. I think it would have changed the way I view it completely because um, I know a lot of my friends who study urban planning or like politics or history, things like that they come to it from a very academic standpoint, which obviously I am academic in a sense, I study the sciences, but um, I think it just made it more like organic to just be like, oh, this is the way it is. So not looking at it from all these different lenses that I'm starting to look at now. So mm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I think touching upon social aspect like as a society we've got to cater for those who aren't ever going to be able to afford cars or you know aren't going to for political reasons or something and you have to have access for them also i think like uh, i honestly think that like every single bourgeois state in the world is also competing with each other's through like various different ways through like prestige and like who's got the best you know the fastest railway network who's got the safest blah blah you know all to do with technology and the united states just i think try to do the bare minimum to say that it's got public transportation in there and i think that's that's the case with lots of um, every single public sector in the united states just enough to say that yeah we care for that social aspect of a society but they don't really. I know. No, that's exactly that's exactly the thing. And with the United States, there's so many things that are unique about the United States. But one of them is just like looking at public services in a welfare perspective. Like they look at um, same thing with healthcare. What else? You know, uh, food, housing, all these things, and public transportation. They really look at it as these are the people. Like there's certain sectors of society that really poor sectors they need public transportation so we're gonna now cater to them but we're not gonna create this public good service so yeah it's a very different attitude in the united mm -hmm. states than a lot of even even capitalist societies other capitalist countries they have slightly different attitudes so yeah definitely i suppose in the us it could i mean there probably could be some strategy behind it to make it seem so bad so people just think oh fuck this i'm gonna get a car <laughs> for all we know <laughs> oh man so much that's that's not far off from being wrong so okay good to know i can swear here too yeah awesome. yeah I, wasn't... I mean <laughs> yeah I, I can't help it anyway um <laughs> nice <laughs> We did automatically kind of like touch on the next question is like why you produce this anti-private pro-public transport content but out of all of that what ones do you like creating the most and why is that it's just so haphazard so i don't really have a system or anything but i do like ones that are a little bit more in depth i actually spend a fair amount of time researching some of these topics believe it or not which is you know like the origin of especially in the United States, but in North America in general, like, why is public transportation so shit, basically? And, you know, what is the history behind that? And so those ones, ones take a little bit more time. Uh, so I do like doing that, but because I, I learn new things every time I make a video. I'm just like, oh my goodness, I did not know about the Federal Highway Act of 1956.
weeks or um so that's fun but i also make ones where i just like uh, i don't really think about it i'm just you know on my day journey and i'm just like oh, okay this is a really fun trend i'll just do that because because yeah like tiktok is really about trends you know and um you know it is it was originally musically which i was on for a second it's called musically and it's really about like you know sounds and lip syncing and music and things like that so yeah I actually like lip syncing so I'm just like lip syncing <laughs> the train or something so. <laughs> yeah that, that was an honest answer because I, I was considering commenting on how much you do love the trains and I love how much you love the trains uh, I, well, what was it I watched one before and it was like you were just in between the section of, of escalators and like I love that it's just such a good vibe and it's just like so underground and you're like this is actually fucking so cool <laughs> it's just so convenient and it goes everywhere thank you so much that's the way I feel like I feel like this is cool and um I just want to like share this experience with other people especially people like a lot of my friends who just are just used to being in the car a lot of the time like well have you tried this you know this this is kind of fun so <laughs> i just want to share that but. so you did kind of touch on like your historical videos there and there was a bit of research i do imagine that once you started doing that research you did kind of find yourself going down like a rabbit hole and being a bit of like a Marxist yourself. You must have kind of looked at it through like a historical materialist aspect as well and then just thinking like, oh my God, this is going on and on and it's been the catalyst the whole way. And, and like, just like everything, the root cause of why everything is so shit is because of capitalists at the end of the day. And I think if people don't know anything about transportation, because uh, we're talking the United States specifically, like people should know that the first railway tracks in the United States went directly from the mines to the factories. That's exactly like that is literally like a historical fact. Um, and, and if you think for today, like all roads today, they're not actually there for a freedom, really. It's to make workers go from their outdoor fucking prisons, their estates or their neighborhoods or whatever into their workplaces. It's literally just to connect the capitalist infrastructure to itself. Like that's all roads and transportation is today. What did you find throughout this like study? Did you, did you kind of come across anything like that? What was your thoughts when you were looking into this? Have you got any ideas about like the monopolies behind the history of, of these? Oh my god, yeah, so many thoughts. But first off, yeah, um, uh, just from a materialist's approach to that, of course, it's it really is. It's uh, the environmental aspects of like how is the environmental and the infrastructure where we are, where we live, and what we see and how we transport ourselves has uh, is just you know hugely related to class structures. So um, there's that for one. But in terms of the mines that you mentioned, I did not know that particular fact. So I'm going to have to go research that fact after, after you told me about that. So I'm going to definitely do that. I don't know if you mentioned this at all, but the, the thing with the United States specifically is this urban sprawl. The thing with the the urban sprawl aspects, which is in the United States, basically this low density housing that's um, 
is encouraged, which houses a few amount of people and creates spaces where you need to get around in a car. This is, first off, is really energy intensive. So the, the whole layout is, is just like, you know, you have, you have these nowhere places, which is a large portion of the United States, like 70% of the United States. Like we think of the, there is New York and Chicago and San Francisco, and there's some cities where it's fairly densely housed. Really, the mass of the United States is not like that. So, um, yeah, so there are these structures that need to be reinforced that are very energy intensive, require a lot of think, a lot of resources, a lot of energy resources. And in order to maintain those, there are all these laws and codes that have to be implemented through policies, like, uh, you know, the highways that have to be funded, federally funded, and, um, you know, parking minimums and, and all these other kind of codes that go around that to maintain that structure. So, um, so yeah, so it is a question of how do we get these resources and it's all these, the economic interests of car, oil, tire manufacturers, they're all tied in with the state interest in the capitalist society. So these are fundamental as to why, you know, it is the way it is. So it is definitely from Marx's perspective, these, these economic interests are, are, have, are, you know, very closely tied to state interests. And in, in addition to that, if you really want to look into like U.S. imperialism, the the energy intensiveness of these structures can really be sustained unless you have access to fossil fuels, which the U.S. does. You know, U.S. imperialism and hegemony, which would be probably another subject. But yeah, I don't know. I kind of rambled there. But. Holy smokes. No, that was epic because the thing is what you just described, just the whole amount of energy extrapolation, exploitation to produce all these road networking systems. But then that's not even counting the cars that's going to have to drive on top of them as well and all them other resources to build the cars, the trucks, all of the CO2 emissions. that's like building veins or arteries on the planet Earth and then intentionally clogging them. It's it's absurd. It doesn't make sense. It does seem idealistic. There's a very famous speech with Fidel Castro just saying, imagine if everybody owned a car. Imagine if every single person in China owned a car. It said it's simply impossible for billions of human beings to have a car. It's not achievable. So it is truly an idealistic venture. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's doable to a certain point and obviously would getting to a point where it's not doable and we need to start looking at other options. What are the other options? Have you ever been anywhere besides the United States to see better options for what transportation and transit should look like, better environmentally, socially, and even more efficient transportationally? Yeah, first all, I want to say I love that analogy, the veins and the arteries, and then you're just intentionally clogging them. <laughs> that's that's epic. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's literally like we've built this, so our, our, you know, we have a planet Earth and we've just intentionally just polluted it with all these things that really it cannot, you know, sustainably um, accommodate. Yeah, I love that analogy. But um, uh, I visit other places. I visited limited other places and I would like to visit more. Perhaps one day I will. But I visited, um, you know, London, UK and Oslo, Norway. I live in a place that is pretty decent public transit, which is Montreal right now. Uh, Montreal and Canada, because there are several Montreals apparently. I mean, there are a lot of places that have decent transportation. China is one of them. <laughs> all, like all kinds of cities in China, you know, there's so many things we can learn from there. Public transportation, the different aspects, the different areas that it's really excelling in are one high speed rail, which connects different, you know, 
um, so it's more instead of sort of local transportation, it's more uh, regional transportation where it really connects different parts of the country, different countries. And um, why do studies so it turns out, does the US not have like transportation that travels throughout the whole of the United States together? So it's really, you know, it's a really interesting thing. And I tell people who are who don't live in the United States, it's hard to explain to them. Um, so we have primarily planes and buses. So if you had to get, so I, I have to say like Birmingham to um, London, right? Like I don't, I know this is not the best example, but I looked this up. Um, I didn't have an actually travel that distance, but there's a train that can go there. In the United States, if there are if there is a train, it's not a high speed train. First off, um, it's about the same cost as taking the plane. So there's more plane travel that's encouraged just like in between states, which is a short distance, um, and or there are buses. So so there really isn't. They haven't gone as far as in, implementing high speed rail yet. Or even efficient rail, even if it's not high speed. So, yeah, <laughs> so that's something that shocks a lot of people who are not from here or from the United States. So, yeah, but what was I going to say? So that's number one. High speed rail is super important. Um, number two, that China has done really well, and a lot of other places, not just China, but I've recently been looking at China. Um, it's bus rapid transit, also known as BRT, which um, what it is. In case you don't know, it's um, basically a more efficient way of taking the bus. So you go on the bus. In real buses, you have to pay a fare or you you know tap your card. Like if you already have a card, most people have a card. They tap their card. Um, in bus rapid transit, that process is eliminated, so the it's more seamless. Um, and uh, what else? So like if they're mobility, someone who needs a mobility aid or like a wheelchair, that process is more seamless. Because in buses, um, you have to lower the little ramp, you have to wait, you have to come back on. There are only certain places for wheelchairs. So in bus rapid transit, that process is faster. And also the other thing that is annoying about buses, and you mentioned, I'm going to ramble a little bit, but you mentioned the streetcar system in the United States that it used to be, and it was bulldozed for cars back in the like, 1930s or the 1920s, sorry. Um, so in that system, it was bulldozed and replaced by buses, which are much less efficient than streetcars. Because one of the main reasons is that they're slowed down by cars. <laughs> um, because, you know, you take a bus and it's always late because it has to wait for the car. So the bus rapid transit system will get around that fact by, um, by uh, having its own lane, ideally. And the other thing is electric buses, that's or trams, light rail, whatever you could say. Those are also helpful in having efficient public transportation system because energy efficiency also. Because like buses do require, you know, um, petrol, gasoline to get around. So it's not ideal. The other thing has to do with the layout, and this is really huge um, layout of transportation systems. So if you go to really good cities, if they have a subway system or like I can call it underground over there. Um, it's connected to many different hubs. So like, um, I don't know, here in Montreal, for a Montreal example, we have several uh, hubs where you have major connections. We have WCAM, we have, you know, where we have like a couple of different ones where they connect different parts of the city. Um, in the United States, several cities and parts of Canada too, you might have a train system or you might even have an underground system, but they're heavily disconnected. 
um, and actually my another TikTok friend of mine, they made this uh, video about the system because they live in LA, uh, in California. And uh, I've only been to LA once and I haven't taken the subway there, but it's such a disconnected mess because you'll have like a downtown area, which is very small, but if you have to get to one residential area to another residential area, it's really far. You have to go through downtown and then back to another residential area. There's not enough hubs. So, um, yeah, so a lot of the U.S. cities have this problem. And there is this period, I don't know if you've heard of it, you probably have, like redlining in the United States, where they, there were portions of the United States that are just segregated based on, you know, well, race. You know, people of color were put into certain areas and other people, uh, you know, white people were not. Uh, that kind of exists now, and it's really intricately linked to how the transportation system is in the subway systems. They'll literally, yeah, <laughs> there'll be areas of residential areas that are surrounded by highways. Yeah, <laughs> it blows my mind too. Like, oh, you just, a a <laughs> redline system? What the hell are you talking? I've heard of a redline system. You're talking about. A, a bus and a rapid. You're talking about a lower class and an upper class bus system. Red lines. What the? What is? What is going on? What else? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I ramble so much. Okay. No, no, so, no. Um, but I just mean like I can't. I couldn't have imagined I'd be learning these things. It's just like what's. I. It's just like why? Oh, oh. It's. I'm asking myself why overcomplicate these things, and then you're answering it by telling me redlining. It's got so much to do with, with class and race and that. I'm like, go on, please. I am learning a lot of you. This is. Shocking. Oh, thank you so much. I literally. Uh, I'm always blown away when I read these things because it really it tells so much about how complex transportation systems are in the United States, but. Uh, going back to these subway systems, yeah, they're like areas of the city that are so disconnected that the subway system is just totally inefficient. So you can have a subway station. Um, and I, I'm just saying something slightly controversial. I find the U.S. to be in some areas still very segregated. So not in big cities, obviously, but in certain areas, it can be so segregated. And it's literally because the transportation system disconnects people so yeah so going back so an efficient subway system really should have several hubs should not be disconnected like that and um another really good example of poor transportation system in the united states is what i recently just came from from denver colorado you have these light rail systems which are just overground subway systems which are actually decent you know like the light rail system itself is good but it'll be so the light rail station will be um, off the side of the highway or at the end of the strip mall or um, or there'll be a big parking lot attached to the light rail station. So you would still have to drive to get to the station. Yeah, so it doesn't discourage driving and you would still like even the even the train systems are still propping up a car system, if that makes sense. So. So yeah, so ideal public transportation systems shouldn't be like off the side of a highway like that. It shouldn't that's not something that happen. Um, but yeah, I think I touched most of it. Yeah, there that was, was just so, shocking. So much. I was, was shocking. So I mean, I, I think it's fair to say one of the main reasons. Because obviously it all costs money, doesn't it? That's the excuse behind everything. Oh, we haven't got money, we haven't got funding. But one of the reasons why the United States isn't actually spending money on actual put, 
public infrastructure that makes a slither of sense is to do with its massive US car culture. Obviously, the United States is the first country in the world to invent the monster truck of all absurd things to create. They create the monster truck that says a lot about the car culture. Do you think that has any role to play in the inhibiting of actual logical progressive public transport in the US? Dude, yeah, it's it's like a symbiotic relationship or symbiotic, however you say that. It's just the car culture, which is, I think partly was almost invented by the car industry. Yeah, so there is definitely the bigger is better in, like that's a kind of a cultural trend. So, you, you know, like, um, of course it is the first, you know, the country to invent the monster truck because it is this idea of, um, you know, like powerful, strong. And these are all terms that car manufacturers use to advertise their products, which is like, I'm powerful in my car. And if you even look at car ads in the United States, they emphasize this a lot. Or like, um, I did some research about car ads in the United States versus car ads in, I think it was Germany and France. So the things that they're allowed to do in the United States are um, really emphasize, I feel powerful in my car. I feel like I can go anywhere. I can be fast and speedy and all these other things. And there are certain limitations in, in Germany. For some reason, I was looking at Germany. But um, yeah, car ads are huge in emphasizing that cars make us powerful and just like constantly pushing this narrative in our faces that cars make us independent, um, you know, big, better, all this kind of thing. A lot of these US car ads I've seen, they've always seemed to make the car seem like a, a tamed werewolf for the driver. It's just massively going around. It's this giant beast running around in some desert somewhere and it's going to keep you safe and, and scare everybody else. But yeah, that is just eventually what's going to go happen if you just let this culture continue, especially with US exceptionalism. You know, bigger is better on everything. It goes into, you know, the monster truck. I call it car culture, but I think I think that's kind of what it's called. Basically, what is culture? It's like, uh, firstly, it's our habits. So habits around cars. So like, you get up in the morning, you take your car to some place. You know, you think about your car. You feel like the next time you get have to go someplace, you have to take your car. So it's all these like habits, as well as beliefs and actions that take place around the car. So all of that, um, when it comes to car culture and car dependence. Places. Americans just love cars. If you live in North America, you may have heard that Americans love cars the moment they started rolling out in the early 1900s because they were so much faster and far superior to the other modes of transportation such as streetcars and trains. In fact, there was serious objection to cars being introduced and taking over the streets. It was considered more of a rich person's plaything. There were frequent protests all across the country for many years, and newspapers would often write articles about how cars were arming the health of the street life. So, General Motors, along with other asphalt, tire, and oil companies, started a campaign to change the public perception around automobiles. GM shareholders funded shows that introduced the slogan, America's love affair with the automobile. This big collection of car, oil, tire, and asphalt companies known as Motordome also used Boy Scouts to hand out free educational material that told people what jaywalking was and introduced pro-car language. This was the beginning of the cultural shift that needed to happen if the American public were to believe that Americans just love cars. 
is very strong because then goes back into the urban sprawl suburbanization of a lot of the United States, which is, um, uh, first, if you feel like you need to have a car to get around, those there are going to be policies and things that are marketed to you to encourage you to that that belief is correct that yes you do need your car to get around and here it is <laughs> you know so it's like this uh, relationship that just feeds into each other so um, yeah there I mean there are more you know there are policies that go around maintaining that infrastructure constantly putting spending towards highways and roads and taking them away from public transportation or if they are funded towards public transportation, they're not going into, you know, paying drivers, um, making more efficient bus systems. They're not going to that. They're just going into repair buses. And it's literally, it's, uh, there, I did another video about this a while back where like 80% of the funding that goes into public transportation, the United States goes into these, um, what do they call it? Like, not maintenance, but it just, yeah, maintenance, but it doesn't go into the, day-to-day -day operations so that's why it's again like increasing the wages of, of bus drivers is very hard because most of the of the funding doesn't go towards that just gonna say that it really makes me think you mentioned a bus system that of like a normal bus system then you've got like a rapid bus system and it's like a different tier and obviously that's going to be more expensive isn't it so if you look at everything in terms of class and actual materialism if you've got different classes for buses eventually the people making decisions that are actually going to pay for public transport in terms of bills and you know do, do that kind of funding in the councils they've probably never been on a goddamn bus in their life they've ever they've probably never even driven a car most of their life they probably get driven around they've got their own driver everywhere so why would they ever fund these kind of buses these are things where they themselves would obviously probably actually get robbed you know or, or hurt you know if they actually went on them because they were that well known and that despised for being the parasites that they are in society and coupled with the fact that you do have this kind of cultural hegemony and the peace the, the people policing themselves so even if you want to do something progressive, like say, let's just have a public transportation that's not ridiculous to anybody outside of the United States, um, you're going to have people pipe up with this car culture, like cars are freedom, cars are what make America great, cars are what blah, 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 you know what I mean? And then like they'll go against their own interests, making these arguments, which stems from car culture, I think. Would you agree with that at all? Yeah, That's how yeah, I yeah. So first of the people who are decision makers, um, most of the time not taking transit is 100% true because I've talked to some of these people and some of the work I do just like, like uh, outside of you know, TikTok and stuff. And um, they, for the most part, again, they see a lot of these transportation systems as welfare systems as for people who don't need have a car aren't able to have a car so like i i was even i was talking to one such person a while back and they said to me yeah um there was a time when i couldn't have a car um this person worked for the department of transportation so there was a time i couldn't have a car i wasn't able to afford a car um you know so this again it ties in with the car culture this idea that you know, public transportation is for poor people or people who can't afford a car or can't drive or, you know, 
are in a wheelchair, one of those things. So they really, they, they force these separations between, you know, it's the, it's the class separation for sure. We're like, okay, these are the people who can't, can't drive, don't need a car, don't have a car, the people aren't. Yeah, these are the people who are making decisions and, um, in terms of public transportation. So it is a big aspect. Policing themselves. Yeah. Going against their um, own interests through um, by by regurgitating the bourgeois ideas and culture, i.e. the car culture. Yeah, and there was something really interesting. Um, I saw this on your dictionary that I was looking at last night, actually, about this Noam Chomsky who wrote a book about mass media and um, or he had some line in there. I think he was a co-author and he used about like the mass media in the United States specifically really just infiltrating a lot of the masses so that they they repeat these things like yes i need a car because therefore i'll be free because i'm emulating you know, the bourgeois class whatever so there is that there's that aspect too by the time you can afford it the car ain't important that was from the scholar <laughs> kanye west <laughs> <laughs> oh, kanye west he's such a scholar gotta love him <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, OG Kanye, anyways. Yeah, hope I, he, I, ho I hope he finds his mind. I hope he finds his mind. He's an incredible artist. He is a good artist. He's a really good musician, that's for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. It's unfortunate mental health issues and stuff. Mm -hmm. That happened in this capitalist system, you know? Mm -hmm. He was inhaling too many car fumes. I can't imagine a problem with public transport and it's relatively cheap. There's a point with our buses actually where the bus fare got to £2.40 probably two or three years ago and this I was like I we need to know this is how the students in Peru had a revolution this was because they raised the the bus fares too high I was like is this time and then the bus fares actually knocked it back to two pound and it's stuck at two pound now because it, they know they know when they're pushing people too far and, and like driving people over the edge with super expensive transportation uh, transportation where you just waiting for so long not not like that kind of uh, anxiety inducing transport will people in the united states ever demand more or do you think that this car culture is just so prevalent yeah so um what you said about like you can't even imagine what it's like and <laughs> um, that's definitely never mind set up with like different classes and different areas like never mind apartheid bus services and train services which it fucking sounds like you got over there like, I just, I can't get over the United States. I, I, what the hell? Please continue. Sorry, I'm just genuinely shocked. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's the attitude of a lot of people who are, you know, are not from, like in Montreal, there's some, there are a lot of people who are from Europe or have just been in Montreal and, and I'll tell them about this and they'll be like, what? what, what do you mean that you have to drive to the train station? Like they just, they don't, don't compute. Um, so I totally get that. Um, so that's kind of, that's what I'm telling you. There's such a culture shock when you go there that that's why I started making content because it was just so mind blowing to me that this was even a thing that, okay, so it's not like this, you know, like a, sh a short distance away in, you know, like another country, 200 kilometers away. But here it's like this for some reason. But um, as for uh, the not having insurance, now 
I only had a car for like maybe two months and um, I, I was required to have insurance. So I don't know all the technical intricacies of having a car. Um, but from what I know, I think that your friend might have just been doing something that they probably shouldn't have been doing because I think most people have insurance for their cars. However, with that being said, it can be um, heavily, you know, it's heavily subsidized because there's free parking everywhere. There's, you know, like uh, parking lots everywhere. And also you can get a used car, which is fairly inexpensive. But then, of course, there's all the maintenance. So, like, I think what it is is that really if people compute, if they actually do the math, it's always going to be less expensive to not have a car. But it's not even just a question of less expensive. It's also a question of, um, you know, the, the, the whole structure that goes around having a car. It's not really something that you want to partake. But, um, yeah, in order for people to really shift and be able to go ahead and get, you know, advocate for better public transportation system and demand that, there's just so much that's going to happen, have to happen culturally, um, <laughs> because there is like there is it is there. Everybody just has a car and just goes around thinking that's the way to live. So, yeah, there's such a big shift that needs to happen. Um, but, you know, maybe it needs to come from a different uh, way of thinking. You know, I don't know how I mean, we have to really change the capitalist system. I think that maybe needs to happen first. Who knows? Are you against cars? Do you just hate cars? Or is it the environmental, social, transportation issues that arise from it? Yeah, I'm not against cars at all. In the sense, like, I'm not, I'm not saying, okay, we must ban cars completely. And I think people, you know, urbanists, whatever you want to call us, who say that, I think they're exaggerating a little bit just for like, you know, um, for the drama to get people excited about it. Um, you know, obviously private vehicles can be helpful for various reasons. Like, um, like when you're moving a small distance and you have to transport a lot of equipment, you have to, like move your furniture or whatever, you know, those, you know, cars are really necessary for those kind of things. Um, and obviously people who are doing certain jobs, you know, like we do need cars at some level, but exactly. It's, it's really all the social health climate, um, big, huge factors that go around car culture that I uh, don't like. So I don't like the car culture. It's not the individual mm -hmm. cars. I, I suppose it's fair to add on that you mentioned, you know, all the road infrastructure, the intensive mining and resource extraction required for all that, the energy consumption and the displacing of locals from their communities, um, that these highways, etc., would go over, not to mention the natural fauna and the flora of the land. God bless beautiful planet Earth. Yeah, totally, totally. It's, it really destroys the planet. Just the yes. building arose, the building of the infrastructure itself destroys the planet. And then on top of that, the actual driving of the cars and like the the emissions they produce, all these things are just um, just layer after layer. So. Okay. I don't think I'll keep you for too much longer, but there's a couple of things I'd love to just still learn from you. You just touched upon being an urbanist. What is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, so the way I think of urbanism is urbanism versus suburbanism, not necessarily like urbanism versus rural rural environments, which I think a lot of people get confused. They're like, oh, urbanists don't like the country. 
And um, I don't think that's what it is at all. It really has to do with like um, the suburbanization, especially in the United States, where like they call it the new world um, or the new English world or something, which is United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. For some reason, South Africa is not in that picture. But those countries specifically have really been um, affected by something called suburbanization, urban sprawl, which I mentioned a lot. But it has to do with like indirect funding, indirect um, public spending, things like mortgage deductions and charitable contributions and federal funding for highways. So all there's all this indirect spending to support suburban infrastructures to encourage people to consume things privately for private consumption. So like buying a house, buying a large house that needs a lot of heating and cooling and things to go in the house and cars. So like they want to support this lifestyle, which is, which is, you know, it's not good for our planet and all those other things, but it also encourages people to, you know, uh, separate from each other. So like think of themselves as, as a unit, as an individual, rather than part of the community, which is like inherently what we are. You know, I think that's important mm -hmm. in Marxist as well, that we're really, we're part of a, a, a unit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way we evolved is really through communal living and things like that. But so that's what I'm really opposed to is like urbanism is much better than this type of suburbanism, which is, I think they even call it like um, the hidden welfare or something like that, because it is indirect, indirectly supported, supports the idea of more and more consumption. So is opposed to the idea of, of um, spending to get public services that are better for everybody, mm -hmm. and also that benefit the community and where you get a community. So, like in places where there are urban environments, there's an intense sense of um, we're going to go out there and maybe interact with some, some strangers and then never talk to them again. You know, like you're going to do that literally. If you go in a city, you do that regularly, and it, it's not, it's something that's I think good for our mental health that we get to used to. The fact that there are people in our world that we don't necessarily love, but they're there and they're to be respected. So um, in suburban environments, which are so prevalent in the United States and the new world, whatever, they uh, they just get that, just really have uh, lost that sense. And that culture that's around the suburbanization, again, fuels the car culture. So that's why I'm an urbanist, because suburbanization is really kind of antithetical to humanity i guess in mm. my opinion so, so it sounds very good like a contrast there if i was to make a comparison about suburbanists you could say that they're very much the get off my lawn what are they doing hang around these parts kind of people rather than hey come and play on my grass and that and i've never seen you around here before who are you so that but again it's just ultimately a it seems like it epitomizes everything to do with private property, individualism, alienation. Alienation's huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's totally. a very good perspective that I've never thought of using urbanism to link these kinds of different thoughts and connections people have with the with the place where they live in their community and yeah, it's really interesting. So I'm so grateful to have had you on. I think that these are some really brilliant perspectives and I'm grateful to have platformed you. And can't wait to get this out there. I mean, main feed now for people. Oh, man, yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything that you do. And yeah, I've learned so much from you in this discussion. I have to look up those mining um, 
the relationship between oh. the you just reminded me i'm gonna hook you up i'll hook you up with the documentary it'll change your life it uh, changed my okay. life <laughs> honestly it's What's so it? good for everybody else as well it's called plutocracy um, it's simply called plutocracy it's like a very long documentary series it's it's exceptional it's literally it's almost like the birth of the capitalist United States. And I mean, it's got so much historical footage of like, I'm talking like 18, 1900s, whenever they invented cameras, they were, they were like talking with miners and uh, you see like the actual people from Blair Mountain in those battles, because those were miners who were revolting. It was the, those were the first people who the United States uh, Air Force actually bombed on and, and it was their own people. No, I did not know that. I'm going to have to look that up. Yep, yep, yep. Um, it, like, the United States is such a rich, like, actual red revolutionary history. It's just so, so suppressed. Um, and, and, like, even in the 70s and the 80s, there was so much, like, rich, actual, proper revolutionary, hardcore with teeth, uh, revolutionary comrades out there taking action. But... We've just got the respectable left nowadays. Um, yep. Yeah, like libs. libs. Mm -hmm. And not even like moderate leftists, I guess you could say, but like also, yeah, there does have a rich history of socialism and like obviously with the Black Panthers. And um, yeah, I think there's, we've had like, I don't know if you have that in the UK, but it's called McCarthyism. There is that period of time in history where, um, there was a lot of like red scare and uh, I think a lot of voices were suppressed from then on. I don't know. I think like the U the British Communist parties have always been absolutely toothless and useless anyway, to tell you the truth. I mean, at the end of the day, Karl Marx lived in England. He like all the working yeah. class was reading all of his literature and what happened? Absolutely not much. You know what I mean? Nothing significant. He was in England at the goddamn time. The English working class, as far as I'm concerned, have got no leg to stand on. Not in an enabler sense, sorry, but like they just can't say anything to do with revolution anymore. It's not down to them. It's why we call ourselves revolutionary lump of radio. But we don't mean to digress and go off topic. It's just talking about the plutocracy. I really do encourage everybody to go and look at it. And, and especially if you are in the United States and put you sort of in the, the roots of your own national struggle, so to speak, um, revolutionary struggle. We gotta be. Yeah, because it's we up to you. I mean, I can't do it. I don't live there. Like, if I lived over there, I'd be doing it. So it's up to you, you people in the United States, to pick up on that history, learn from these, uh, from plutocracy and that, learn about these uh, monopolies. I mean, let's be honest, yet there probably is like a 10 out of 10 train network in the United States, but it's probably 100% used to transport like nuclear weapons or some kind of military grade stuff you know what yeah. i mean let's let's make no mistake it definitely exists but it's not for the people <laughs> yeah no actually i heard that about heard that i read that in like some random thing about the history of even the streetcars they had a totally different use in the united states originally than um like in europe for some reason so that's why the history is so different it's mostly to transport goods versus people though but then eventually caught on yeah i know i there's just so much I have to go back and figure out what that was. But yeah, that was the original purpose. And then eventually it transformed and they were like, okay, well, we're going to transport people now. 
but that's why the system was so disconnected to begin with. That's why it still like remains like history. So yeah, quite. <laughs> Shocking. So what about urbanism? What about people who like to learn more about this, including yourself? Like, wh where do you reckon that we go to to turn and, and learn more? Oh, just urbanism in general. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of good TikTok creators um, out there. Well, I'm on TikTok, obviously. Well, we're on TikTok right now. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'd say uh, the group I was with is Pedestrian Dignity. And we also have a Discord server. I think that would be a good place. We wanna we wanna build the community to like nationally. And I always say that I'm not in the United States right now, but um, you know, like just in general, even you know, ideally globally, we just want to have a, a place where people can be curious and learn and all that. So that's a good server if anyone wants to go on there. And then um, there are a couple of other TikTok creators like Car Free America is a really good one. They just make content about okay. Here is here is what the United States is like currently, but this is what it would look like. Or like with a piece of landscape, like this is what a city, um, Baltimore looks like now. This is what it would look like if it was made for people rather than cars. So it's a good uh, view of what we could potentially change if we wanted to. There's the thing is with urban planning is that I've just found it just like so highly academic. So like where I do a lot of research and just wonder about these things. And, it's just like a lot of academic journals and things like that. And those are just not accessible for a lot of people. So that's why I would really like to, to get more of a community, community of people, you know, who are interested and don't have to just read all these, you know, really dry materials. So that's in the works. But those are the things I have currently that I can think of. Yeah, definitely. Please. I beg you to keep that up, to encourage you to do it, um, especially as a Marxist. Like I said, it's it's a, it's a, always important to have a class analysis. We look at race, we look at class antagonisms, all sorts of antagonisms and history. But we got to look at goddamn transport as well. I, I mean, even just like from an an environmental factor, a social factor, we got to look at it all because I honestly believe. Most of our roads exist purely just so the police can get to us if they have to. Like they've, these have always got to have these things in place for themselves, so honest, so that so that so that they can come in our communities and arrest us if they have to. I honestly believe, like the more we look into it, the deeper we'll go down this rabbit hole. I do think that this is sort of a relatively new process. If I'm wrong. Anybody, please correct me, give me the right information. I'd love to look more onto, into it, especially if any like socialists have discussed it. Um, so I, th I don't think I have any more questions. Is there anything more that you'd like to cover, though, before I go to the plugs? Yeah, I mean, there's so many thoughts that I have, but there's nothing like <laughs> structured, so... I know, <laughs> no. I, I know, that's what I mean. Like, I understand, like... And, I, and I'd like other people to appreciate like how difficult this is because we're not going off a whole lot. Like I mean, like I said, I haven't. Uh, I saw Anessa's TikToks and I, I felt it deep down, and I knew that like there was more to this. And if there was, in terms of like Marxist literature, literature or anything, I would have one hundred percent came across it already. Um, I believe. 
So I'm, I'm, I really want to look at this like as a Marxist and I encourage everybody else to, um, but we're kind of treading on new grounds, I think, and I think it's totally worth it because these are like easy conversations that we could have with people just to get them involved in thinking about society and politics, breaking this capitalist realism in the mind and thinking that we can have, a, again, a world that serves the people rather than private interests and that is the monopolies behind the cars and automotive transportation industries. Yeah, it totally. It serves corporate interests. It serves the economic interests of car, oil, tire, rubber manufacturers. All this group of industries um, are very powerful and it serves their interest to maintain this car dependent infrastructure, which in turn, you know, um, it creates car culture and then car culture feeds into dependent infrastructure and so it's like it's a it's a really big far-reaching topic and there's just like for me my brain is just like oh my goodness there's so many different directions mm-hmm. <laughs> literally there's no way to like analyze them succinctly but yeah definitely from a marxist perspective an eco-marxist perspective um, i heard of those things like it's like it's uh, it has a huge tie into the oil industry obviously and u.s imperialism and uh, why we maintain these structures so mm-hmm. there's a big um Marxist analysis that can be done. I think it can be flushed out in a much more, uh, what's the word, elaborate way than I feel like, as you said, like we're covering new ground. This is like fairly new topic. And I really like to, I'm hoping that other Marxists can take part. And I'm hoping that like um, urbanists, because right now, like what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of urbanists that are just like, I don't know, just like maybe it's like slightly treading on that liberal territory. And it's just, um, I hoping hoping they can look at this through a materialist Marxist mm-hmm. analysis as well. So hopefully yeah. we can get that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'd love to help in some way. So again, just to add on with that historical materialist analysis, I'll give you some. I said in like the kind of pre-interview for this, I was saying we can almost see roads today as like in the same way that train tracks were first from the mines to the factories. These, many of these roads and highways are still essentially the tracks of the tentacles of imperialism where they've been used to transport the exploited resources, minerals, even the labour, even the actual human beings to be used for the surplus labour go down these roads to the capitalists' workshop work from the resources that have come from the global south, no doubt, and, you know, being transported down these lanes, like... It's they are the tracks of imperialism. They're not there for a the benefit. They're there purely to benefit the stock markers of, you know, these companies going up. And as their stocks go up, our human fertility goes down, our lifespans go down, our cancer rates go up. So we got to think like, is it worth it? What what else have we got? As we alluded to, there's various other public transports. That's just obviously economical, environmental and socially acceptable. Yeah, dude, like that analogy is, is like epic. That's exactly what it is. They're like the tentacles of, uh, of human labor being exploited, basically. That's literally a mm-hmm. visual of what they are. So, yeah. yeah. Again, even the circuit board analogy, if people want to do that, where the batteries, our power's going down, these goddamn circuit board into the processor to do whatever they want. That's a good one too. I'm not yeah. sure which I like better. 
reckon you'd be up for doing this with somebody else if I got another guest, maybe a Nico Marxist on or something, and we could maybe just broaden it like in, in, in that way. Definitely. I would love to meet an eco Marxist who was interested in this topic too. I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Hell yeah. It'd be great. So where can people find, follow and support your work? Oh, find and follow support my work. Um, I, I mean, I'm on TikTok and occasionally make content here. Um, so yeah, I'm the transit person on TikTok and I'm the same thing on Twitter. I think that biggest thing that one of the things is also pedestrian dignity it's a group i was with when i was in denver and they do some work locally but um we want to you know like get more of a, a movement going you know nationally globally ideally so you can find our websites uh website pedestrian dignity and uh discord server those two things be great as well so yeah Cool. So, could you send us them over on Discord, please? And then I can add them all to the show notes. And, and as for us at Revolutionary Lumpen Radio, if you're new, you've never listened, please give us a follow. You can subscribe to us on any podcast player. You can also have bonus content and get exclusive access to ask our future guests a question of your choice by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Follow, like, share, all of that is free to do. As always, we sign off saying, workers and lumpen of the world, unite. Unacceptable. We shouldn't let them get away with it. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, let's, let's stab them. Let's piece of our mind. Yeah, your thing. I can ride my bike with no handlebars, no handlebars, no handlebars. I can ride my bike with no handlebars, no handlebars, no handlebars. Look at me, look at me, hands in the air like it's good to be alive. And I'm a famous rapper, even when the past are all crooked D. I can show you how to do si do. I can show you how to scratch a record. I can take apart the remote control, and I can almost put it back together. I can tie a knot in a cherry stem. I can tell you about Leif Erikson. I know all the words to De Colores, and I'm proud to be an American. Me and my friends are platypus. Me and my friend made a comic book, and guess how long it took? I can't do anything that I want, cause look, I can keep rhythm with no metronome. No metronome, no metronome And I can see your face on the telephone On the telephone, on the telephone Look at me, look at me Just call to say that it's good to be alive In such a small world, I'm all curled up with a book to read I can make money, open up a thrift store I can make a living off a magazine I can design an engine 64 miles to a gallon of gasoline I can make new antibiotics I can make computers survive aquatic conditions I know how to run the business And I can make you want to buy a product Movers, shakers, and producers Me and my friends understand the future I see the strings that control the system I can do anything with no resistance Cause I can lead a nation with a microphone with a microphone, with a microphone And I can split the atom of a molecule Of a molecule, of a molecule
my reach is global, my tower secure, my cause is noble, my power is pure. I can hand out a million vaccinations, or let them all die in exasperation. Have them all healed from the lacerations, have them all killed by assassination. I can make anybody go to prison, just because I don't like them. And I can do anything with no permission. I have it all under my command, because I can guide a missile by satellite, by satellite, by satellite.